Hey, that's fun, isn't it? Yes, brings back some good memories. Uh, welcome to Christ Point. My name is James. I'm the pastor here, and I want to let you know this morning that you are part of something bigger than yourself. You are part of something bigger than yourself. Beginning this Sunday, there are over 100 churches in the Charlotte and surrounding area who are walking through a sermon series called The Art of neighboring. Over 50,000 men, women, and children will be impacted uh, in and through this series, and so you are part of something bigger than yourself. We are asking the question over the course of the next three weeks, uh, what if we took the great commandment seriously? Uh, what if we took the great commandment seriously? The commandment to love God with everything that we are and the commandment to love our neighbors uh, as ourselves. What would uh, our communities look like? What would our church look like? What would our neighborhood look like if we actually uh, read those words found in the ancient scriptures and lived them out? And so this morning I want uh, to ask three questions. I want to ask three questions. And the first question that I want to ask to you this morning is, uh, what if, what if God puts you in a place uh, for a purpose? What if God puts you in a particular place for a purpose? Do you ever stop and think about why it is that you live where you live? Do you ever wonder why it is you pull up to the house that you pull up to at the end of the day? Do you ever wonder uh, why it is you live in the house or the apartment or uh, the townhome or the condominium uh, that you live in? When you think about it, maybe you think to yourself, well, I moved there uh, for the schools. Right? I did my research. Right? I looked and saw what was out there. I went and checked all of the grades that the schools received in and around this area. And these schools, bar none, are the best. And so you made a strategic decision uh, to move your family just where you did so your kids uh, could attend those schools. Maybe you think to yourself, I moved where I did and I live where I live uh, because I love the square footage that our home affords. I need uh, some space to stretch out my elbows and to uh, be able to hide in my home uh, from my children. And uh, we wanted to make sure that all of our children, whether we have one or three or five, uh, have their own rooms because our kids are like little betta fish. And if we put them in the same bowl, it doesn't end well. It's like Cain and Abel just waiting to happen. And so maybe you think, hey, we are where we are because of the square footage or because of the rooms we have. Uh, maybe you just came across a killer deal. Maybe you looked at the home and you thought to yourself, they're selling it for what? We could get in here, uh, we could fix this place up, and if we time it uh, just perfectly, we can sell at the right time and we will be set. You ever stop to think why you live where you live? This morning, I want to ask the question, what if, what if uh, you live uh, where you live for a purpose? What if you live there for a purpose? What if God has bigger things in a store for you? He has bigger plans than just simply living in a great home. 
Uh, maybe, just maybe, God is doing something bigger. I believe that uh, He is. If you have a sheet that was on the music stand when you walked in, I want to ask you uh, to pull it out and look with me uh, at a passage in Acts chapter 17. Uh, Acts chapter 17. In this passage, Paul is uh, speaking to the men at Athens, uh, and he has walked into uh, a, a difficult scenario or situation where he is surrounded uh, by people who don't know and love and follow Jesus. Jesus. They're religious folks. They're interested in spiritual things, uh, but they don't have a relationship with God. And uh, Paul says this in Acts chapter 17, verse 26 and verse 27. He says, From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. Did you catch that? He determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Isn't that crazy to think about? That the God of the universe who knows you and made you and loves you, who is sovereign over creation puts you, put you in a particular place. And you may be asking yourself, well, why did he put me in the place that he did? Well, uh, Paul says to the men of Athens that God did this uh, so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Do you ever stop to think that maybe, uh, just maybe, God puts you at the exact place uh, that he did, not for your sake, uh, but for your neighbor's? Do you ever stop to think that maybe, just maybe, you are where you are so that the people who live near you and by you and next door to you might hear the gospel through you? Maybe, just maybe, God puts you in a particular place for a purpose. And it's not just because uh, you live in a great house. It's not just because you live in a great school district. It's not just because uh, you found a great deal. Uh, God placed you where he did for a particular reason. And maybe, just maybe, the God of the universe has you where he has you so that your neighbors might be able to hear and respond to the gospel. So this morning, I want to ask the question, what if God put me in a particular place on purpose? The second question I want us to think together about is, what if God wants me to love my actual neighbor? What if God wants me to love my actual neighbor? Maybe the reason that he put me where he put me is so that I would actually love my actual neighbor. Not just metaphorically, not just I love the idea of loving my neighbor, but so that we would actually love our neighbors. Who, who are our neighbors? This is the question that a lawyer has for Jesus. It's a familiar story to some who may, maybe grew up in the church. It's recorded in Luke chapter 10. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me there. Or if you have your handy-dandy handout, uh, you can look along uh, with me as we look to Luke chapter 10, uh, beginning in verse 25. It says, And behold, a lawyer 
stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? A lawyer, the lawyer that's spoken of here, is someone who studied the Old Testament law. It was someone who was well-versed in the Torah. It was someone who was well-versed in the ancient Scriptures. There's two problems right out of the gate that we read about the lawyer. One, he put Jesus to the test, and usually when we do that, it doesn't end well. Uh, And secondly, the lawyer uh, wanted to ask Jesus a question um, that uh, that really missed the point of what it meant to have a relationship with God. He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Tell tell me how I can earn it. What do I uh, need to do? And Jesus plays along and he says in verse 26, he said to him, well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Uh, Jesus always asked great questions, didn't he? People would come to Jesus with a question, and he would turn it on them, and he would ask a question back, as he does with this man. He says, well, how uh, do you read it? And the man answered, the lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Uh, Do this, and you will live. So Jesus, in essence, says to the man, bravo, like you hit the nail on the head, a good job. But the man says in verse 29, it says, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Like, who is my neighbor? Okay, um, I should love God with everything that I am, and I should love my neighbor as myself, but who then should I actually love? Like, practically speaking, who's, who's my neighbor? Who am I responsible for? Who do I have to love? Uh, during that day and age, during that time, it was very common for um, Jews to love fellow Jews. That was kind of the expectation. Uh, they were to love their own people. If you were to ask a Jew, who is your neighbor? They would say, well, my fellow Jew is my neighbor. Like, that's the person that God has called me to love. Uh, We are God's chosen people, and so we love one another. But their definition was uh, very narrow. And so what Jesus says to the lawyer and what he does is he takes that definition and he turns it on its side. He really blows up the definition by telling a story. Jesus, in verse 30, says, A man was going down from Jerusalem uh, to Jericho. Jerusalem to Jericho, it was a... uh, potentially dangerous stretch for people uh, to travel. Uh, there, there were potentially sketchy things that might happen along uh, this way. It was a spot that some people uh, at least were looking over their shoulders when they walked down uh, the road. It says that a man fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Right, so a guy's traveling down the road, he gets jumped, uh, they, they rough him up, they beat him up, they leave him half dead. So he's in, he's in bad shape. He's in bad shape. You, you, people would see him and they would notice him. And, and Jesus uh, tells the story in such a way that three people come in contact with this man and respond differently to what they see. It says in verse 31, Now by chance a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Right, so you have to understand, as Jesus is telling this story, the very fact that a priest would see this man, uh, that the hearer of the story would naturally assume that the priest would be the one who would come to the man's aid. 
Right? I mean, when you think about it, if, if anyone should help those in need, it's, uh, it's the man of the cloth. Right? It's, it's the pastor. It's the one who knows how the story plays out. It's the one who's familiar with the Word of God and spends his day telling other people about what this book says and teaches. You would think that the priest would be the hero in the story. He would be the one uh, to come up to the man and say, hey, like, um, are you okay? Like, are you all right? But what does the text say? It says the priest going down that road saw the man and he passed by on the other side. Right? So, so, so the man of God that should be the one to reach out to the man and help him in his time of need instead uh, looks at the man and literally uh, passes by on the other side. It's almost as if he crosses the street and says to himself, I'm going to avoid this. It looks messy to me. A few weeks ago, Melissa and I were driving home down 73, and there was a, a car accident that had taken place uh, just before we pulled up to the light. I look up, and there is a truck that had a rear-ended a semi, and the, the truck was in, is in bad shape. The airbag had gone off. There still was, was smoke in the car. The, I think it was the driver or the passenger of the car. There was two guys in the car. They walk out, out of the car, and the, and the one guy starts coughing up blood. And I think the airbag had probably uh, hit him, uh, bloody nose, bloody mouth. He's, he's sp like spitting blood on uh, the ground. And my, my first instinct and reaction uh, in that moment is, I got to get out of here. Right? I was like, I don't, I don't know how to help. I'm sure the guys have cell phones. Right? I'm, not, I'm not a fan of the blood. I'm like, I look over to my right and I think to myself, is there a way that we can scoot over and just simply get out of the way? And so I thought about that when I read this story that Jesus told about a priest who came upon a man uh, who was left half dead. Right? And the priest, the so-called uh, godly man, uh, crosses the street. The story goes on, verse 32, So likewise, a Levite, when he had uh, come to the place uh, and saw him, um, passed by on the other side. Uh, a Levite was uh, someone who was responsible for uh, the, the church service, if you will. If you put it in today's context, they were uh, someone who was responsible or oversaw the liturgy of the church. It would be like uh, an associate pastor or someone who would come uh, and help with what took place at the temple. Uh, they, they too were uh, known as or considered very uh, religious individuals. Uh, again, a Levite is someone who you would assume would see what was taking place and come to the aid of the man who was uh, half dead, who was, who was beaten and left uh, bloodied. But, but the text literally means that the Levite saw him, and the word that's used that, that the Levite saw him means that he came up close to him. Right? It's, it's not like he, he just saw him from a distance and thought to himself, boy, it looks like something happened over there. I'm going to ignore him. Instead, it's as if the Levite walked up to the man and crouched down and saw the condition that he was in. And then walked away. 
Right? So the, the religious folks are over to. But the priest sees the man, crosses the road. Levite follows suit. He uh, does the same. And then Jesus, um, in, in a twist of the story, says in verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Well, you have to understand that during the time, the Samaritans were a hated people by the Jews. They were hated people by the Jews. It would be like us telling this story and uh, the, the Middle Eastern terrorist sees the man and has compassion on him. It, it was the person that you would least expect to reach out to the man. In fact, in Luke chapter 9, there's a story that's told when Jesus comes to a Samaritan village and they, they are not interested in the teachings of Jesus. And Jesus is with his disciples, and the disciples see how the village responds to Jesus. And, and the disciples say to Jesus, in essence, hey, do you want us to call down fire from heaven for God to wipe out the Samaritans? Right? The Samaritans were perceived as, as, as impure people. 400 years before this took place, when the Babylonians took God's people captive, uh, a group of Jews were uh, faithful in marrying one another. There was another group that ended up marrying the Assyrians, and, and they were, in essence, the Samaritans. And so the Jews looked down upon them because they felt like they had adopted or inherited a foreign culture. And so the Samaritans were a hated people. If there was going to be a hero in the story, it would not be the Samaritan. But what does Jesus say? He says, a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds and pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you uh, when I come back. Like, what in the world? Right, the Samaritan sees this guy, and he takes ownership of his situation. He doesn't lean down and look at him and go, Man, that's a rough day. Better you than me. You win some, you lose some. He doesn't say, man, I'll be praying for you. Smack him on the shoulder. Good luck with all that. Like he goes above and beyond. He, in essence, functions in such a way where he is saying, your condition and your predicament is mine. Like you are now my responsibility in this moment. You are my responsibility. No one would have expected that. The lawyer would not have expected that. So he goes above and beyond in reaching out to this guy. It says in verse 36, Jesus asks, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Right? And the lawyer said, The one who showed him mercy. Right? The one who showed him mercy. Like bingo. <laughs> Right, this unexpected man, Samaritan, is the one who actually lived out uh, the great commandment in this moment. Now, Jesus was doing a number of things when he told this story. He, he certainly was broadening the definition of what it means to be uh, neighborly. 
Right? He, was, he was taking what was common in the day and he was expanding it for uh, his audience. He, he was saying that your neighbor is not just the person who's exactly like you and thinks like you um, and shares all of, of the same passions as you do. It's not uh, someone who comes from your side of town or someone who grew up in your uh, same state. A neighbor, Jesus says, is in essence uh, anyone at any moment, uh, who has a need, and you come across that need. So he broadens the definition of what it means to be a neighbor. He, he shows the, the costliness of what it looks like to be at, a neighbor at times. This man comes, and he spends his own resources and his own time and comes to, this, to the aid of this man uh, who had been broken. But Jesus also, I think, in this moment, shows us um, how we as a people uh, should respond and love the people that God has placed around around us. I, th I think sometimes it's easy for us to have a broad definition of what it means to be a neighbor, so much so that we don't love the neighbors on either side of us. Right? It's so easy for us in our minds, especially if we grew up in the church, to say, oh, I know what a neighbor is. Like, I have a broad definition of a neighbor. So I can help someone in Honduras, and I can help someone uh, in Jordan, and I can help someone in another state or another country and another town. But sometimes our definition of neighbor is so broad uh, that we miss out on the opportunities right in front of us or right next door to us. Right? So what if? What if God wanted us to love our actual neighbor? What if our definition was, yes, broad enough to help those in need, but like narrow enough for us to see the needs right in front of us? What if, what if God put us in a particular place for a purpose. Uh, what if God wanted us to love our actual neighbor? And what if, what if, what if you and me, what if we have experienced uh, God's grace uh, for the sake of another? Uh, Wednesday morning, uh, the, the guys gather together at Maple Street Biscuit Company at a very early hour at six o'clock in the morning. Uh, most of the guys that are there at 6 o'clock in the morning are not friendly. I mean, I see some of them. They seem happy now. But 6 a.m., they're tired. They haven't had their coffee. We gather together, and typically we'll watch a short little video, and we'll open up the Word, and we'll share about what God is teaching us and what He is doing in our hearts and in our lives. This is a, a, a side uh, rabbit trail, a little tangent but listen, Christ's point, if you are not uh, connected in community, right, if, if there are not people that know your story, right, if there are not people that you can celebrate with and suffer with, then I, I want to encourage you to press in uh, to the community here at Christ Point. There's a group that meets Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. There are small groups that meet during the week. There's a men's group and women's group that meets. We, uh, God has created us to be connected uh, to one another. 
I simply say that because I know the, the difference that it's made in my own heart and in my own life. It certainly did this last week on Wednesday morning when I sat there and watched this little video and there was a, there was a passage that was mentioned in the video. The video was talking about the grace of God seen in the lives of his people. And I just looked down at my notes and I saw this passage that I wrote in your notes this morning. It's from Ephesians chapter 3 uh, verses 1 and 2 and I thought it tied in so beautifully to this series and to what we're talking about this morning. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus and says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me. Typically, when I read that verse, I stop there. I think about the grace that God has given to me. Have you heard about it? Have you heard about the grace that God's given to me? He's so good to give me his grace. He gave me his grace. And I love his grace. His, his grace allows me to experience forgiveness. His grace allows me to experience a transformation. Like I, I love the grace of God to think that God bestows gifts upon us that we don't earn or deserve. It's a beautiful thing to receive the grace of God. But did you notice the last two words that Paul uses when he writes to the church at Ephesus. He says, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. For you. For you. So, so what if what if God placed you right where he did in your neighborhood, in your community, so that you could experience God's grace for the sake of others? Uh, let me suggest to you that that's how God set it up. It blows my mind. Like God, God is making his appeal for the gospel to go out to the nations and your neighborhood through you. He is making his appeal through us. The reason that God has placed you where he has placed you is possibly because of the person that lives to your left or lives to your right or lives across the street from you. What if, what if God has allowed you to experience his grace for the sake of your neighbor's? This morning when you walked in, you grabbed a sheet, I think, you grabbed a sheet off the music stand in the back. And if you look on a one side of that sheet, there is a map. And on that map, uh, there are houses. There's a house in the middle, and there's eight houses around. And I'm going to ask you to do two things this morning. The, the first thing that I want you to do is just pause for a moment and think to yourself, uh, how many of those neighbors uh, do you know? Like, how many of those neighbors do you know? Like, if your house is in the middle, I know this breaks down on some level. All of our neighborhoods don't look like this. We don't have people behind us. But just think about where God has placed you. And, and maybe you think two houses to the left, two houses to the right. Maybe you think about three or four houses in front of you. Think about the people uh, that live around you, right? You are that middle house. And I just want you to think, if you're courageous enough to actually write down the names, uh, you can do that. We did this in our small group a couple weeks ago, and uh, we were a bit sheepish. Um, not all of us were killing it, and that's uh, not unusual. Right? It's common that maybe we know one 
or two of our neighbors. Maybe we see our neighbors. Maybe we drive by our neighbors. Maybe we wave to our neighbors. But I don't know if we always know our neighbors. And so just think on that map for a second. How many of these neighbors' um, names do I know? Let's see, have it. You don't have to advertise how many you have. You don't have to raise your hand, but I just want you to think about how many names you know. And now I want to encourage you to do this. This is really practical. Um, I want you to learn your neighbors' names. Because we want to think as a church, what does it look like for someone to go from a stranger, someone we don't know, to an acquaintance, maybe someone whose first name we do know, to actually having a relationship with that person. And so when I looked at this map, for me, I was challenged and I was convicted for a couple of reasons. One is because I started thinking about, okay, I know these two houses, I know these two houses. I essentially don't know anyone uh, in front of me, even though they live right in front of me. And then I started thinking about, you know, every uh, morning, just about every morning, I walk my daughter to the bus stop, right? It's uh, 7.34 a.m. We walk out to the bus stop. The bus comes at 7.37, maybe 7.38. And I think about the families that stand, the moms and dads that stand at the bus stop each and every morning when I drop off my daughter. I I know our neighbors on uh, the one side of us, my daughter's friends with their daughter, Their grandmother usually takes her to the bus stop. I I know her name. I say hello to her. I typically have a conversation with her. But there are two parents typically that are there each and every day. I've lived there for two years. For two years. And this one guy I see, I know where he lives. I can point out his house. He comes out and he walks to the bus stop uh, with his kids. And as I think back upon the last almost two years now, I think, you know, there was a time uh, when, when our eyes met and we did the, the guy thing. The guy thing at 7.34 a.m., which is... I did that. He did it back. Guys, you know what I'm talking about. Eventually, I thought to myself, I should take the next step from this to actually putting a smile on my face. So I did. And then I thought to myself, James, you can do better. You can do better. You're a big boy. Be brave. And I walked out to the bus stop and I put a smile on my face and I nodded and I said, good morning. And that was it for a long time. And then I started thinking about this and I thought to myself, I've lived there for two years. I have no idea who that man is. No idea. I don't know his name. I don't know his story. I don't know what he's been through. I don't know if he's interested in the things of God. And so two weeks ago, I went to the bus stop and I said, James, put on your big boy pants and actually ask the man his name. And so I walked out to the bus stop and I put a smile on his face and I looked at him and I walked up to him and I said, sir, I said, I have to apologize. I said, I've seen you at the bus stop for a long time. And I said, you know what? I said, I've never gotten your name. I said, would you tell me your name? And he said, my name's Omar. I was like, Omar, it's a pleasure to meet you. There's another little girl that comes to the bus whose mom has has come out just this year. I haven't seen her as long, but I've seen her long enough. I kept thinking to myself, James, there's a person 
There's a person with a story, and you don't know it, and she lives like right there. So last week, I caught her after the kids got on the bus. She was walking away. I said, ma'am, 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 ma'am. Excuse me, excuse me. I'm like, I'm, I'm so sorry, but I said, my, my name's James. I said, I've never gotten your name before. I said, could you tell me your name? And she said, my name's Susan. She goes, well, that sounds so formal. You can call me Sue. And I said, okay, Sue. I said, Sue, it was a pleasure to meet you this morning. She said, thank you so much for saying hello. She walked back to her house, and I walked back to my house. Now listen, listen. Like, that's not the end game. But I know Omar's name, and I know Sue's name. And that's a win. That's, that's progress for me. But the crazy thing is, is Omar has a story, and I haven't heard it yet. And Sue has a story, too, and I don't know what it is. And so I want to be intentional with going from to saying, hey, good morning, Omar. Hey, good morning, Sue. How are you doing? How are you doing this morning? Hey, we, we live next door to each other. Hey, would, would you guys ever want to come over and grab coffee or dessert one night? And, and actually welcome the people that, that live next to us um, over to our table. I mean, can, can you imagine the impact you would have? Not, not just if, if you were to invite people here, but if you would look at your home as not a place to settle, but a place to be sent. And you would ask God to open your eyes, and, and we as a people uh, would begin to invest in the people that live right next door to us and right across from us. Like, what if, what if, what if God puts you in a particular place for a purpose? What if, what if uh, God wants us to love our actual neighbor? What if, what if you have experienced the grace of God for the sake of someone other than yourself. I believe that you have. And so let's pray and ask God to help us love our neighbors well. Father God, thank you so much that in Jesus you have demonstrated perfect love. Uh, the love of Christ was sacrificial, it was beautiful, it was others-focused. Uh, I pray that you would help us uh, to love in that kind of way. I don't believe that you have placed us where you have on accident. God, you are strategic about everything that you do. And so you have strategically placed us where you have for a purpose. And so I pray that you would help open our eyes so that we might love our neighbors well. God, we need your help to do that, and so we ask for it. God, we love you. We trust you. I pray for, for great things, great stories to take place as we love the people around us. God, we love you because you loved us first. We give you thanks, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.